What are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the week again. It is the Pop Culture Podcast, the number one podcast that takes place in this house. There's no doubt about that. That uh, it's almost universal. I've got a running podcast that I do, but this one's better. Um, that's personal opinion. Anyway, I've got to try and open up with a strong sell because if in the first twenty seconds I can't convince you that at least I believe in the quality of this podcast, then what's the future of a show like this going to look like? I mean, there's not really anywhere that it's going to go, is there? So if you don't even believe in the product yourself, then what's the point of selling it? That's what I've always said. It's been a motto that I've lived by. It's been a it's been a busy week in the Popplestone household. It's been a busy week in Australia. Australian Open kickstart today, which is uh, it's probably been. Uh, we spoke about this the other week. I mean, I reckon it's one of the most amazing marketing pam- campaigns of of all time. With Novak Djokovic being treated like a an immigrant and uh, being locked up just in our just in our local immigrant lockup shelter. Here in Melbourne, I mean, it's something that we do quite well. We're quite proud of our strong border policies have been in place since the mid '90s now, and uh, it's really good just to see that it's still going stronger than ever. And I think it's a nice, uh, it's a really nice opportunity just to celebrate one of the biggest scalps that we've ever been able to lock away just for a couple of days. I mean, uh, there's there's many in there who have been locked away for well and truly over five years. I think one of them was knocked locked away for nine. It's been there since he was fifteen. So. To have Novak Djokovic, world number one tennis player, join the ranks just for a couple of days is uh, is something that Australia should be incredibly proud of. I'm I'm really glad that the uh, that the heart of who we are hasn't changed too much. We were bought here as prisoners, and what's the old motto? It's uh, I don't know what the old motto is, but I did hear a long time ago that the people most likely to molest a child are those who were once molested. Now I'm not sure if there's any correlation to the fact that those who have been locked up are likely to lock others up. But I think, hey, Australia, prison island, let's do it. Let's lock, They did it to us, let's do it right back to them. Who gives a shit if it's world number one? This is the, the world's best marketing ploy. And I'm incredibly proud of my country for, for kicking someone out based on the fact they, they disagreed with the, the main government motion. Like the idea was that uh, Djokovic, his, his paperwork was approved. Um, he had the medical exemptions from two independent teams of doctors. Uh, he was welcomed into the country via paperwork, at least. But when he got here, things radically changed. And uh, it turns out he, he was just thinking wrong, which is fine. There's never been a problem in, in humanity, from what I can tell. No book's ever written about the idea of, of wrong think or, or, or just having an opinion outside of what uh, the one true and honest government thinks. So I'd like to praise our leaders um, Anything else I can say? I'd like to praise our leaders. I'd like to celebrate that Scott Morrison yeah, is the best. Cool. And so is Dan. Yeah, so is Dan Andrews. I agree. Hail our leaders in unison. Amen. That, that, that's what I've always said. My whole life, I've always said, if the government says it, don't ask questions. Government equals love. And I'm pretty sure it's a well-known fact around the world. There's no... Uh, honestly, if you can give me an example of any country in the world where the government has... has taken advantage of their powers, I'd love to hear it because I personally don't believe it. People like to say China in that situation, don't they? But China's lovely. The Chinese government, they're just mis- they're misunderstood. A lot of people I know now genuinely say that Mao did nothing wrong. He just um, he didn't execute his plan properly. I don't even like to use the word execute when you're speaking about Mao's plan because, I mean, it's still got some emotional baggage there for, for some people who have 
have trouble getting over what it was that he tried to do. So uh, I think if you're one of those people, it's time, like we need a man up, we need to get over it. Socialism's back, baby. It's here to stay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've always said, if you can't lock up a person because they disagree with what you say, what can you lock up a person for? Anyway, so the tennis has started. I, I've got to be, you've got to be excited for, for every other player in the tennis, don't you? Like We've got rid of, rid of one bloke. We, we got rid of the healthiest man in the world because of his thinking errors. Um, and hopefully, in all, in all honesty, hopefully he comes around. Hopefully... He finds his way. Do you know what I mean? It's not everyone understands that you are that you shouldn't really have freedom of thought. And 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 to be honest, um, if you do disagree with someone, you should have the right to to get them out of your house. Yeah, there's no need for for discussion anymore. That's what I that's what I like to say. If if people want to talk, I think violence is a is a more effective. What what really gets solved through conversation? There's a question for you. Is there any real progress made through conversation? I don't see it. I think violence is the is the way to go. That's just my personal opinion. I'm pretty sure that's what Gandhi went with. Martin Luther King as well. I'm not sure. I think both of those guys have been cancelled many years after their death. So because they did have some opinions, which uh, I don't know. I would say racist. I don't like the way. I don't like the way they they saw um, that any race should have have more equal rights. I think. And it's weird to, to, to think that once um, we used to believe that all lives were important. I think it's more important just to recognise now that if you're white, you're, if you're white, you're wrong. That's what, that's what they say, if you're white, you're wrong. I don't know why I said if you're white, you're wrong. I was meant to say if you're right, you're wrong. But I think that, that little spiel that I just did about Mao uh, made me stumble across um, a, little bit of, a little bit of racism is what you'd call that here in Melbourne. A little bit of racism because if you say a word like an Asian says it here in Melbourne, that's hate speech. Novak did it. I've just done it, and uh, and that's just the way it is. Honestly, we've got to take this approach to so many other sports. I told you last week that a, a lot of people are complaining, saying that there's going to be no one watching the Australian Open. Let's uh, let's abandon the Australian Open. The very fact that people are speaking like that shows that it's going to be the most heavily viewed Australian Open in the history of the tournament. Don't worry, like obviously Omicron's caused some serious damage and as a result, people now can't go to the tennis in full capacity, but the TV viewership's gonna be beautiful. If you're a paid sponsor of the tennis this year, sit back and relax because you're gonna get your money's worth. People keep saying we, we, we're gonna abandon because uh, Djokovic is, is not playing. They won't, they'll tune in to find out exactly what's happening and that's, and that's fine because I'm one of these people that says, stuff it, I'm abandoning it. I'm, I, I didn't say that word right, abandoning it, abandoning it. I'm going to abandon it. But I'm not, because it starts this afternoon, and I'm going to tune in to see if they're saying anything about Novak, which they will be. And regardless of which side of the, uh, the Djokovic argument you land on, uh, it's going to be very interesting. So I'm not sure. Australia, it's been a very interesting time to, to be in Australia. Now, this is a heavy start to the podcast. I'd like to recognize it. We've started with the heavy talk, all right? But I do think it's ironic because uh, we've been celebrating the fact, well, it's a little play on word, which I think in any marketing campaign is important to do, that the Australian Open uh, tennis ads have, have been taking the line that, hey, Australian Open, Australia is open. A fancy little play on the word, and it was beautiful. I got slightly nostalgic and sentimental 
just watching it thinking, well, we're open. And then a, a tennis player comes in who has a slightly different view to what he's supposed to have. It's like, apart from you, you stupid, dumb Serb. Do you know what I mean? Bloody Serbians. Huh? Will they ever learn? What have they got to... They know nothing about our government. They know nothing about how dodgy governments work. Let's show them something about the government. Who is this Djokovic anyway? He's, has he ever played here? Stuff him, is what I say. If you disagree, well, you know, you're an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> That's just the way it is. The lo- my favourite part of it was the fact that... Um, <clears throat> so so the whole conversation revolved around this idea that if you uh, if he stays, it's going to stir up anti-vax sentiment. I, I am quietly confident that the fact that he's been kicked out based on his view has stirred up some anti-vax sentiment. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've become more passionate than ever. I'm like, wait, he got kicked out because he disagreed? Well, stuff the vaccines. That's my new view. I'm not sure about how effective they are. And even if they are effective, if Djokovic doesn't want it and he got kicked out, well, I'm an, I'm an anti-vaxxer. That, lock me in as an anti-vaxxer. That's what I say. Lock me in as an anti-vaxxer. Far out. But hey, as we've always said, when will the Serbs ever learn? Do you know what I mean? I heard someone say it serves him right, and that was that was that was me. That was, I'm, the, I'm the only person who said I saw an opportunity to make a silly pun joke, and I took it, and I'm regretting it immediately because I, I'm about quality here, not equality. Equality is a, a thing of the past. Do you know what I mean? I think between 1970 and 95, depending on your race, equality was important. But but now here in Australia, equality is uh, is no longer important unless you're transsexual. <laughs> or transgender. Anyway, I think that's how it works. What a bloody rant that was to get started. My wife sometimes sits in a in a room <clears throat> just near where I record this podcast, and she goes, babe, just be more conversational because you sound too ranty sometimes. You sound like um, how you speak to me when, when we're arguing. And I said, oh, like, how, do I, how do I be just conversational? She goes, well, just don't be so opinionated because when you get super opinionated, opinionated you sound like a... You sound like an asshole, and you start trying to talk like an Italian, which is ridiculous because there's absolutely no Italian blood in my body. True story, there is Serbian blood, sort of. It's a confusing backstory with my grandparents, though. My my grandma, uh, Nanny Mill, was was from Yugoslavia. She was from Montenegro, but it's confusing where the lines are and where they aren't now because uh, she she switches between saying that she's from Montenegro and from Serbia. And, uh, and so maybe I've got a legitimate bloodline reason to be passionate about this Djokovic case. I don't, but it's always, it's like the bloke at comedy. Uh, he's whiter than me, and uh, someone called him a racist the other day. He said, don't worry about it, I'm 8% Indian. He's not. I, I'm not sure where he got that fact from, but it's nice to be able to, to lean on something that you're not to be able to prove a point or an opinion that you have, I think. That seems fair. I reckon if it's going to serve... If it's going to make your point look more legitimate, you should be able to use it, whether, whether it's really true or not. Do you know what I mean? That's why, that's why Australia Day each year, I start talking about how I'm 12% Aboriginal. Um, but I'm not. I'm not 12% Aboriginal. I'm, I'm purely lying to make a point. Um, and I don't know what that point is, to be honest. But it's good. This time of the year, it's nice because we start to see the, um, the Invasion Day graffiti popping, popping up around the city. I was in Northcote the other day, which is... Uh, I go to an organic uh, organic supermarket there, which is probably no surprise you see so much lefty graffiti, but one of the local bookshops has been graffitied saying, don't celebrate uh, Invasion Day, um, uh, which is always nice. It's nice to know that you can break... Mm, what can you break? 
I was going to say it's nice, nice to know that you can break a law to prove a point, but it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm ranting. I need to take a leaf out of Jesse's book. Take a deep breath. All right, we're back. So what I wanted to say is it's Australia Almost Open. That's what the tennis should be called this year, Australian Almost Open. Do you know what I mean? We, we welcome most players unless you disagree. That's just the uh, that's just the way it is. Sad to see him go. That's all right. People say he's got enough money as it is. I don't think that's a good enough reason to kick a player out. Surely, like he's worth two hundred and twenty mil, but by the end of this tournament, he could have been worth two hundred and twenty-four. People also forget the marketing opportunities that are going to come out of this for Djokovic. Uh, uh, are going to be rich financially. I think he's going to be two hundred and thirty million dollars in value by the first of February. <laughs> that's just my guess because I'm going to be tuning into so many interviews just to hear what he says. And interviews are usually run by journalists or their, uh, media outlets with money. Uh, you're not getting Djokovic for free. And he's got a story to tell. And uh, it's going to be a story which is bought not just locally here in Australia. That's a beautiful thing that we've done. This little island that we live on is... is uh, I'm not sure. I don't quite think we've realised just how much of a firework we've set in the international scene. Uh, a lot of people have been saying to me, though, that I think... Um, I think with what's going on here in Australia, it's what we need. We need people to see just how just how far we've gone in order, uh, it, you know, how far we've gone wrong, just so that we can maybe be accused internationally of some, you know, potentially questionable behaviour, so that hopefully, um, you know, things can start to get back on track. I'm not sure, but it's a it's an international problem right now. I saw the Canadian government just had to you know, uh, give a formal apology because they got caught tracking 87% of the population's mobile phone data during the pandemic without their consent, which was always a, it was always a concern of the conspiracy theorists before um, the QR codes were implemented. I remember at the start, people were like, just sign in. All they want to do is make sure they can send you some information if they uh, find out you're in a COVID hotspot. And then the conspiracy theorists were being uh, were being critiqued and attacked because they were saying, mm, I'm not sure I want to give this government constant access to where I am at all times because I'm pretty sure that's what they're going to do. And the government's like, no, we're not going to do that. This is ridiculous. Where did you get that idea? And it turns out they just didn't want to do it to that 13%. 87% just gives them a good little taste test of, of where the people are at. But I don't understand that argument, though, because the truth is, like, uh, I didn't even realise. I've got my mobile phone here. And I, I, I usually just do the manual sign-in because I was a little bit like, oh, these conspiracy theorists seem to have a point. And I would, I would just sign in manually. And as I signed in manually, I thought, okay, well, they can't track that because um, you have to give a, a, you know, a proper email address for them to be able to contact you in a real name. I'm joking, obviously. I always signed in with my, with my real legitimate details. But um, uh, one of the things that I was, I was just a little bit skeptical about that. But then I realized my location services, uh, they're, they're just constantly on, on my phone. So I'm pretty sure that if there's anyone who actually wanted to access any of the data as to where I've been, they could just, like, I'm, I'm you know, this, is, this may as well be a chip. This is just an ineffective chip that should be inserted into my body because people have a problem with this idea of, of microchips being inserted into their body. And I get it. My wife and I have this discussion a lot because I go, babe, we've all got a chip. We're all chipped. Do you know what I mean? Like, tell me one time that you don't have your phone on you during the day and then I'll believe you that we're not chipped. And she makes a good point that, no, but with this, I can leave it in the kitchen or I can leave it in the lounge room or I can, I can still lose this. But if you're chipped, um, like 6,000 Swedes are now. They're getting their... I think it's they're getting their vaccination status, amongst other things. Things that are just on the phone anyway, inserted just in a, a, a nice little grain of rice package into the uh, uh, the webbing between their index finger and their thumb. So 
I'm not going to be jumping at that anytime soon. But I'm not because I'm a massive conspiracy theorist about what's going on there. I just I can't help but feel the government, any government for that matter, maybe North Korea is the most effective. But I get the vibe that any government uh, that we're super scared of some. Uh, there's a lot of talk about what is it. Uh, the Great Reset. Now, I, I should preface this with I don't fully understand exactly what that is. I think the way that, uh, uh, you know, people who are a little bit further down this rabbit hole than myself would explain it is that there's a group of globalists and that they want to have essentially more power and treat us like cattle so that we can rely on them for money and government sort of assurances. That's where we can get our money from. And we essentially own nothing and uh, essentially just lease everything off them as we need it. So it's just like a constant stream of income. I'm sure I butchered that. So formal apology to, to any of my friends who are, who are well and truly down the QAnon path. I'm not saying that sarcastically. I'm, I'm curious and I'm open to this idea being real. But the issue I have with it is that, um, I don't know, I just get the vibe that the government really struggles just with smaller details. Have you seen how much trouble they've had with the Novak Djokovic case this week here in Australia? And you're telling me that there's an effective group of globalists who are putting together a plan um, to essentially treat the rest of human population as cattle. I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like someone would speak. I feel as though, and maybe they are. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's the argument. Maybe people are speaking out and they're being shut down. They're having their Twitter accounts deleted. Maybe they're not. But do you see my point? I'm just, I'm having trouble understanding how, um, the point I was trying to make is Australians are having trouble just operating one little element of the tennis at the moment. And and you're saying that there's a group of far more organized people who are essentially trying to uh, do what we did to Novak Djokovic here on a mass scale. That's a very poor um, comparison, but I'm doing my best here. I was never known as a debater. All right, this is the reason this podcast should be edited because you get to an end of a sentence like that and you go, that didn't make sense. And you have to just keep talking because otherwise you guys catch me out. And this is something I do in comedy as well. When a joke doesn't land, I I spend too much time analyzing and assessing and just going over with the audience the fact it doesn't land. And so I'm going to stop this reflection right now and continue it post-production. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's your fault. If you're still listening to this podcast, it's got nothing to do with me. Do you know what I mean? It's because you've uh, you've had a busy day at work. You don't want to listen to anything too intense. So you thought, you know what, you'll just sit down and listen to the number one pop culture podcast going around, it's wording this household, just to switch off a little bit. That's what I like about the introduction to this show. The uh, It's a sign from Goodfellas where the guy goes, well, what are you going to tell us, tough guy? The usual, zero, nothing. I'm not here to inform. I was going to say I'm here to entertain, but at this point in this podcast, I'm not, I'm not convinced that's happening. I'm entertaining myself. At least one of it's, <laughs> at least one of it's being entertained. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on. But apart from that, apart from the Australian Open, Djokovic being kept out for wrong think, I, uh, I've, had a pretty, I've had a pretty good week. I had, a, had two gigs last week. The, the first gig was, was a little tough, to be honest, not because the jokes didn't go well, but because I spoke to you all a couple of weeks ago about the fact that I've started to... People have started to assume that I'm older than I am, which is something I've never really experienced in my life before. Usually I'm the guy that people look at and they're like, hey man, you're about five. They, they often guess I'm five years younger than I am. And I've let that go to my head. And always now, whenever someone guesses my age, I get like this little bit of arrogance because I'm going to think, well, you're going to think that I'm so much younger than I am because I've, I've got an awesome exercise routine. I moisturize regularly. I'm well hydrated and I've got good genes. But lately that's come back to bite me in the ass because people... Uh, well, a few weeks ago now, I was guessed to be 41. I'm not sure if the girl who said that was 
was doing, you know that that old book from like 2005, The Game, where men would uh, essentially speak down to women, uh, make them insecure so that the woman would like them more. I feel like I got gamed a little bit because I thought I was looking good that night. I don't know if she knew I was, if she knew I was single because um, I'm not. That's, <laughs> I don't know if she knew I was single or married is what I was trying to say there in case my wife's listening to this. I'm not single, sweetie. Don't read too far into that, you know. Um, and I thought I felt like I was being gamed. She go, "You look like you're 41," and immediately she could see that I was hurt. She could see that it it brought me down because I didn't take that as a sign that I looked very wise. I took it as a sign that uh, my moisturizer's not working. I've been getting a lot of sun here as well, so I'm quite sure the the wrinkles around my my eyes have been getting probably deeper and darker than they ever have been. So. You know, maybe it's just a, a little sign to me that I probably should just spend a little bit less time in the sun and, uh, you know, more time in a, I was going to say a sauna, but I'm not sure whether a sauna is the correct answer to that problem. But the other day I was I was sitting at Red Betty. It was in, uh, in Coburg North. Had to get there early. I was telling you guys last week, had to get there early because uh, I was doing open mic comedy. It was the first five who got there, got a spot. And uh, a guy, a, a guy I was sitting with, he goes, "Man, I just you're pretty trendy for your age." I said, "Wait, what? What do you mean?" Because he got to, he didn't say it that quickly. He said to me, "You're pretty trendy," and I, uh, uh, that was what I heard first. That was what was registered, and I thought, "Thank you." Yeah, I take a lot of pride in uh, in the fashion statements that I'm bringing left, right, and center. You know, it's a, I'd love to tell you it's a, it's a compliment I receive quite often. But the truth is, I don't, I haven't in the past paid a lot of attention to. Uh, to my, my, my outfits. Right now I've got a Barwon Heads Golf Club hat on backwards, which is a questionable fashion decision, and just a black plain shirt. So, I mean, you can't go too far wrong with the shirt, but the, uh, the golf club that I'm representing with this hat is, uh, I mean, it's got a reputa- repu- uh, 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 what do you say, a reputation for, for having an elderly participation group. I reckon the average age at Barwon Heads would be 60. So you don't wear this a hat like this as a fashion statement, I don't think. Unless you're that confident in what you're bringing to the table that you're trying to set a fashion statement. So, uh, you know, let's just say that that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually trying to not just publicize Barwon Head's golf course with this cat, but also, you know, I'm trying to just see what my social, my, my, my social sort of influence is. Like if you guys are buying Barwon Head's golf clubs hats and, and wearing them backwards next week, then I'll know it's strong. But that's a mean thing to say to someone, isn't it? That they're, that they're stylish just for their age. You dress well for your age. Because it's a compliment until you get to the age part. And I said to him, dude, how old do you think I am? And he goes, ah, uh, 36. And I looked at the bloke next to him. I said, mate, how old do you think I am? And the bloke next to him guessed 38. And I said, look, I don't know. Are you guys, is this some kind of a sick joke going around the Melbourne comedy scene at the moment that we that we just try and make poor old Tyson Popplestone question how how effective his moisturizer is? Moogoo. I was promised it was a, a really good moisturizer. So I came home and I started, uh, what's that green powder we have in the cupboard? I've completely blanked on it, but apparently it's supposed to be good for wrinkles. It's green powder. It is, what's it called? I'm going through my morning, it's got a horrific taste to it. Uh, I don't want to spend too long on this issue because I don't think you guys care as much about what it is as, as what I do. But apparently it's really good for your nails. Apparently it's really good for your skin. Um, anyway, all right, I'll come back to it. I'll let you know what it's called. I've started powering up on that. Uh, can you please tell me what it is? 
This is doing my head in that I've forgotten. But anyway, my hydration routine's improved from there. It was a tough gig, actually. Red Betty, I liked the room. I was, uh, I was really happy to be there. I was having a great time socialising with the, with the people that were there. Um, but the problem is that the people that were there, were, were, they were quite forward. The guy that told me that I looked older than I was, he, he told me that he was also a troll that just got banned from TikTok. So I thought, oh, maybe he's just trolling me. And then I said to him, with all sincerity, do I look older than I am? He goes, yes, you do, with all sincerity. He goes, but I would like you to know that what I was saying about your clothes before we got to the age part was a genuine compliment. I was hoping that you would leave this uh, little communication between the two of us feeling more uplifted. And he goes, and the vibe I get is you've, you've just, you've left feeling, you know, a little deflated. But the flip side of that was um, just last Thursday, I went to a second gig of the week and that was down in Melbourne at a place called Speak Easy HQ, which if you're here in Melbourne, you've got to go check it out. It's my favourite comedy room. It's, uh, they call it vaudeville, which I think is a French word for, I think it's French, means variety act. So you've got your burlesque dancers, you've got your, it's sort of like dark arts. And uh, so you've got your comedy, your burlesque dancers, um, you've got, what is it when guys dress up as uh, drags, you've got your drag queen kind of shows. Jack London was the host last week, Jack London got up, did his thing. The crowd loved it as well, but it's one of those nights where I was just up and about because before I got there, uh, I was I was about an hour early, so I thought I'm just going to go for a walk. It's quite close to South Bank here, so I chucked in a good podcast with Dr. Z, recommended by the great man Sam Harrison. I was listening to Dr. Z talk about coronavirus as I walked down South Bank, and I was I was just admiring the uh, I was admiring the scene because people were back out in force. It was the I think it was it was confusing because I've been very angry at Melbourne the last eighteen months in Australia in general. Uh, and then it was the first time I sort of walked down there and, and my heart softened. And I was like, man, I, okay, yeah, you're, a lot of you are crazy, but I, I, love, I love that you're back out. You know what I mean? Like once you get past the part where you had to sign in with your vaccine certificate to, to get into the premises, I go, all right, well, we're back. This is, this is a good vibe. If you forget that, it almost feels 100% normal again, which was I hadn't seen for a long time. And then I was, <clears throat> I'm a real social butterfly. I just like, I like that hum of atmosphere around me so as i was walking down there was that hum of atmosphere people were smiling laughing you had the uh, you had the basketball guy on the street doing his tricks and trying to get everyone's attention then there was this other guy uh what was he doing he was doing something with whips as i walked past he said come over here big boy i'll show you how these whips work i panicked to walk faster um but also took it as a compliment because uh, it had a bit of sexual innuendo about it and, and despite the fact he was just ma- taking the piss out of me in front of a crowd i took it as a well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just do that to the average-looking man, would you? You'd want to get a great-looking man with your whips. So I just took that as the audience and I, both recognising that I was the, uh, the best-looking passerby that was, you know, he's being threatened with, with whips in a, in a sexual way, but it, uh, it lightened up the mood. And just as I'd been threatened with the whip, I heard a bloke go, Tyson Popplestone! And uh, I looked around, it was a great man. Uh, former comedian, Jose, I can't remember his last name. He's moved, anyway, moved to Sydney about two years ago and me and him hit it off. He's like, dude, what are you doing here? I thought you moved. I said, man, I'm down for a gig. He brought his girlfriend across to the gig. We all uh, had a good set too last Thursday. Yes, it was a really good set. I reckon it was the best one I'd had since the, uh, the most recent lockdown had ended. The, the audience, they were just up and about. It was one of those nights where as soon as the music started, there was a lady in the front row. She started to bop. Everyone, the, the three people in the front row had a... Uh, you know, they were all masked up. They were being extra cautious because you don't know about Omicron, do you? Don't know how dangerous it is. So you got to wear your mask just in case. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the masks are a hotly debated topic. But 
I got up there and uh, Moulin Rouge in Melbourne had been cancelled as a result of um, this Omicron variant going around. So I said to the audience to get started, I said, hey, super glad you're here. Um, yeah, this is why you come to Speakeasy HQ rather than the, rather than the Moulin Rouge, because here, rain, hail or shine, we, uh, we get this show going. I said, before this show even started, four of us tested positive for COVID and we're still here. And <laughs> the audience sort of, you just felt sphincters tighten up all over the room because it was an elderly crew and they go, this guy legit, lady in the front row put her mask up over her eyes. And then when I reminded them that I'm here to tell funny jokes, they they relaxed a little bit, didn't ask too many more questions, which was nice because it, uh, you know, it, it helped me dodge the bullet that really four of us had, had no, we didn't, we didn't. Tammy, if you're listening to this, she runs that place, I'm joking um, uh, they're very diligent with the, with the COVID check-ins and stuff. They're, they're, they're making sure that everyone's safe and secure. But what a great night. Just a really good night, a really good Thursday night. A Friday night it was. What a great way to finish the week. So um, it was nice. I, I left that first gig a, a, a little bit disappointed. But uh, but when you, come out, when you come out to a second gig of the week like that and, uh, you know, everyone's up and about, it's a nice way to round out the week. So I uh, the other thing that happened on the... Uh, on last Tuesday's gig was was at Red Betty's. I finished my set, and about six or seven different comedians finished their set. And it was a it was a relatively quiet night. It was mostly comedians. There was there was one guy in the room who who just really didn't want to be there, and he made that fact quite well known. Because uh, I said to him, I said, "Mate, what are you what are you out here for tonight?" He goes, "I was hoping to hear some jokes." I said, "Have you been happy with what you heard?" He goes, "I haven't heard any yet." I said, "Well, mate, I'm the fifth comedian. <laughs> it just made me feel a whole heap of pressure." You know, the fact that you're the fifth comedian up after a lineup of people who are funnier than you usually, and this guy said, well, they weren't funny, so, uh, you know, I'm anticipating that you will be, just the law of averages. Uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure there, and it was it was very obvious from my first joke that he didn't appreciate anything that I said, because he was that kind of guy where he wasn't even he wasn't even pretending to care about what I was saying. He wasn't even giving polite laughter, which I'm sort of grateful for, because if there's, if there's one way to improve what it is that you're doing, I'm sure... It's, uh, it's receiving honest feedback like that. A lot of people would, uh, they'd probably just brush it off, laugh to make you feel better, and you go home with a bigger head than, uh, than you probably deserve. It's weird in the comedy scene as well, because you, you see some comedians get off stage and they're bombed, and uh, for whatever reason, I'm not sure if it's sort of just like the like survival instinct kicking in, but you'll go up to them and go, oh man, like how, how'd, you, how'd you feel? And it's more, it's more just a polite way to address the fact that they'd had a terrible set. And uh, there's been plenty of times in my short comedy career where I'll go up to a comedian after their set, after they've bombed, and I'll go up and I'll go, oh, dude, how was it? And they'll look at me with full sincerity and go, bro, I killed. And I was like, bro, I was in the room. You did. I saw what happened. That was brutal. I couldn't. I left the room because I couldn't handle what I was witnessing. This was uh, incredibly painful. And then, but it makes you, it plays on your mind because sometimes I get off stage and I listen back to the tape and there'll be some laughter. And in my head, I go, far out, I think I killed. Like that was a great set. But then because of these people who have these fake great sets, I, I've, I've started to double question, you know, whether or not I, I'm just sort of tricking myself a little bit. And, and the reason was, so I got off stage, didn't have a great set. Uh, well, but... It was sort of, it wasn't great in the sense that I don't feel like I had anything to work with. It was more just the vibe in the night is what I'm going to say. I didn't kill, but uh, but the audience was, they were pretty rough as well. Then I went outside and a lady came up to me. She's like, dude, I absolutely loved that set. And I was like, oh, wow, thank you. Like, started to get this. And this other guy came over to me as well. He's like, dude, awesome set, man. Like, what you did there was, that was so funny. And then 
I, I started to get all up and about, like, whoa, I had a great set, I couldn't believe it. And then they started complimenting me on my jokes, and then I realized they were complimenting someone else's set. For anyone in the Melbourne comedy scene, they were complimenting uh, John Doerr's set. So John Doerr is a bloke that I've, I've been confused with more than once. Um, he's a good-looking man, I'll, I'll give him that much. So I hope he takes that as much as a compliment as I do. But uh, they came up and they started telling telling me all the jokes about my set that they liked. And then I was like, hang on a second, I sat down and watched this set too. The set that you're complimenting is John Doerr's. I was up after him and you've become confused with the two jokes. And <laughs> it was really hard because I had started to build up this, this fake uh, sense of confidence that I'd had a way better set than, than what I'd really had. They were complimenting the wrong man and I, I, we got so far into it that they were talking about, um, you know, they were talking about how woke I was, essentially. They were like, yeah, dude, there's not many white guys that realize what it was that you were just talking about there. Like the fact that you recognize the privilege that you have, the fact that you recognize that as a white man, you've got so much privilege over, you know, uh, they were an Aboriginal couple that I was talking to. Um, the fact that you recognize that is is just beautiful. I was like, dude, fire out. I don't, you definitely didn't see my set. I think I think my set was all, you know, it, it pretty much just proved how much I don't know about this white privilege idea, which is going to upset a lot of people to hear. But um, I, I couldn't. I was too far into the compliment to tell them that that it wasn't me. That they were uh, that they should have been complimenting. But the man, the man they wanted, he had left the building, and. Um, yeah, so it was a... Uh, hey, what are you doing in that situation, though? I always find it hard. Like, if you're being complimented, uh, I don't want those, these guys to feel awkward because they've gone out of their way to make someone else feel good. And we were five minutes into the chat at this stage, so I thought, if I start... You know, if I reveal to them that I've just taken compliments for five minutes and I'm only just acknowledging that it wasn't even my set there, I just look like a dickhead then. But it was it was awkward as well because there was, there was people standing all around us who know me and know my set, and they were looking at me going... Like other comedians, they'll look at me going, like, this is John Doerr's set. And I was sitting there going, mm -hmm. yeah, Johnny Doerr had a great set and I'm claiming it right, right now. And everyone can see me thanking these guys. They're giving me hugs and high fives. It was a very, um, it was a very bad look for, for me. Um, uh, but anyway, like, what do you, what do you do? What do you do? That's a comedy world for you. Sometimes you've got to take congratulations for, for other people's sets. On Thursday, I told her, uh, I told this story about, so I've, I've been day trading on the ASX stock market now for, for two years of, of been paying attention and for the last six months I've been trading for real. So I'm still just figuring it all out a little bit and, and it's funny because uh, like there's been a certain, there's been a, a range of responses that I get to uh, trading in the day trading scene. Everyone's always got a recommendation or a question for you. So uh, I was just explaining that, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, that since I've started trading, people always come up to me like, dude, you got to be investing in lithium, man. Like lithium's where it's at. Then other people come up and like, dude, you got to be investing in cryptocurrency. Like cryptos is where it's at. And then other people just come up to me and like, dude, what's a stock? <laughs> because I hang out with quite a diverse group of people. But I'm really skeptical when it comes to taking recommendations from people. Because did I tell you that, I told you the joke about my dad last week. It's not even a joke. I made it a joke, but it was based in a true story where, um, so, so, yeah, uh, 2006, I just moved to Adelaide, 200 bucks left in my bank account, went to the races with my dad. And when I was there, uh, my dad said to me, Tyce, how much money you got in your bank account? I was like, Dad, I've only got like 200 bucks left. He's like, mate, that's not much. We're going to double that. The next horse pays. He goes, I've got a tip for you. In the next race, the horse that I'm going to tip, tell you to tip, it pays 30 to 1, which for those of you who are in the gambling scene are significant odds. I mean, it suggests usually that the horse is just not going to win. Um, 
I said, Dad, like that's a they're big odds, like and that's a big risk. He goes, mate, trust me, I know the owner, I know all about the horse, it's gonna win. Just put your money down. To, I said, should I put the whole two hundred? He goes, put the whole two hundred. So I put the whole two hundred down. Went and stood at the finish line to watch this horse stream across the line because my dad told me it would win, and uh, and it finished about ninth, and it was well it was well behind eighth place. And I went back to dad and I was like, dad, like. What are you doing, man? That was, you told me, you promised me that that horse would win. You said, put all the money you have in your bank account. And he goes, mate, I, I know nothing about horse racing. <laughs> and I'm wasted. So ever since that point, I go, far out. Like how, how much, or if you can't trust your own dad to give you a, uh, a correct tip, how can you trust some random bloke off the street who's told me that, you know, he had $4,000 given to him from his grandma and he's invested it all in Dogecoin? It's hard to know because everyone, people only ever invest when they're excited about investing. But for me, Elon Musk has too much sway on what happens in the uh, in the cryptocurrency scene. All you have to do is just look at the, uh, the uh, you know, the price charts in comparison to when Elon Musk tweets, and you, you can see a pretty solid correlation between what he has to say and the price of a particular crypto coin. So. I don't know. Anything that is is that volatile, I start to get a little bit sketchy about. Because the day trading world, one thing I've learned quick, just with stocks, is like you need volatility. You want the prices to go up and down. Because if it's not going like this, then there's no room to actually make money for it. But if it's as volatile as what the crypto scene is based on an Elon Musk tweet, then you could you could be bankrupt by tomorrow morning if you make one wrong move. And the truth is, as I said, if I can't take a tip from my dad, I'm not going to be taking a tip from a 17-year-old kid that I haven't met before who just inherited four grand from his grandma, um, who's hopeful in his first investment opportunity that it's going to go up. The truth is, it probably won't. There's a good chance you're going to get a, you're going to lose all your money. So, and there's there's people who are those annual experts. Do you know what I mean? So at the moment, it's it's Australian Open starts today. So we the tennis experts start to get out and about. We start to hear from all the tennis champions. We start to hear from all the people who have. Uh, got something to say in the world of tennis i'm one of those people to be fair like watch me in a week i'll be tweeting about what nadal needs to do to work on his backhand i can't even hit a double-handed backhand i can't even hit a single-handed backhand controlled if i tried to hit a single-handed backhand controlled back to you if we were having a social head of tennis it would and there's a chance it would hit the back fence but still for whatever reason watching it being an armchair critic is so much easier than actually um, implementing the skill that you're telling others to do. And I think I think cryptos is the same scene. I think stocks in general is the same scene. I had a mate last year tell me that, that Bitcoin was hitting 100,000 US by the end of last year. I'm not sure what it's at right now. I can I can check. Let's see if Siri will help me here. Hey Siri, how much is a Bitcoin right now? One Bitcoin is $59,379.73. I assume that's, is that Australian? Hey, hey Siri, how much is a Bitcoin in USD? One Bitcoin is 42,828 US dollars and 27 cents. There we go. So you're paying 42 grand for a Bitcoin right now in US dollars. I had a mate last year tell me to invest in Bitcoin because it's hitting, he told me when it was at, uh, I think it was at about 65 that it's going to hit 100. He said, invest in it. I said, oh, I'm not convinced you know what you're talking about. He goes, bro, all right, it's your boat to miss, no worries. I looked at it uh, later and it was, it was, I don't know, it was close to what it is now. So I'm not, 
<laughs> I mean, it's easy just to, it's easy to be a hater, isn't it? To sit on the sidelines and just critique. But unless there's like, unless Warren Buffett's saying, hey, all right, look, this is the step you should take. And even he's not 100% confident. I think the only person confident with your ability to manipulate a stock is Nancy Pelosi at the moment. Isn't that the truth? Didn't her husband have something to do with insider trading? I'm not sure what the stock was. or the. I'm sure it would have been like the, it would have been one of the big S&P 500 stocks, no doubt. But um, she's the only person you could probably take stock advice from now, assuming she likes you and it wasn't political. Because if it was political, I reckon she would give you a wrong tip. Because the more money that's in the pool, the more money goes in her pocket is, is what she's about, I think. So I don't know. Well, we've just heard from we've just heard from Siri about what a, uh, a Bitcoin pays right, pays right now, and it doesn't seem... Uh, significant. I was at a grocery store a few years ago when I came back from London and I bumped into a mate called Riddy, Richard Lawless. He's a, uh, a great man, like a great man. I went to high school with him. He almost beat me in a beep test, which was humbling because I was the, uh, I was a great runner. Uh, you know, I'm still a decent runner, you know, but at school I was known as the runner and, uh, and Riddy and I, we were lining up for a beep test. Now he, he did his when I was away for one day, he got 15.5 and I had that number stuck in my head and I was like, I was mind blown about how how big a score that was. And I, I went out and somehow got 15.6. I, uh, I think my PE teacher was being generous as well because a couple of those turns I'd, I'd probably missed by about two or three metres, but he, he let me off the hook just because maybe he liked me more than Riddy. But, but Riddy, he invested early in the, uh, in the Bitcoin scene and I, uh, I, I stopped in next to him because I think he's an environmental scientist. And for a while there, um, he was working with a company that were, I don't know if they were mining or they were doing something that he wasn't happy with to, to um, I guess it was like, what's it called? A forest. <laughs> That's the word I was going for. It was, like, you would have assumed that I was going for a word that was uh, so much bigger and more significant than that, but forest was the word that I was lost on. So he, uh, yeah, he used to work for some company and he saw the damage that they were doing to this environment and he just went fully the other way. Now he's chaining himself to coal mine gates and saying to the truckers, don't go. I don't know if that's true, but I know he associates people uh, like that, which is fine. Like you've got to have something to believe in. But Riddy was telling me, he was early to the Bitcoin scene. And when I caught up with him in 2018, I said, dude, what are you doing with yourself? He goes, mate, a whole lot of whatever I want. Had a real good investment in the Bitcoin scene. So I reckon that's when I should have probably got Im involved. I remember hearing a Joe Rogan podcast in like 2016, some guy on there talking about Bitcoin. And here I was going, I'm not taking a tip from this loser. What does he know? He knows nothing about Bitcoin. And had I invested there, I would have been a wealthy man. And uh, But then the value, like even if you trust the advice that you're getting, you're going to have to put in a, like a significant, unless the uh, the company just goes up by like 10,000%. If you put a hundred bucks in, you're not, you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. So it's got to do with how much you invest in it as well, doesn't it? You can't just be putting in five bucks and thinking that, uh, you know, once this goes in your direction, things are things are going to work out because it doesn't always it doesn't always work like that. But that's the thing. There's so many experts, and uh, I, I mentioned briefly before Doctor Z. Um, Doctor Z is a so I, I told you guys I've been doing Sam Harris's app. And I'm not sure if you heard the Joe Rogan podcast with Dr. Peter McCullough. I thought it was gold. I was listening to that and I was like, wow, this is incredible. Just how much information I don't understand, how much cover up, how much, um, it, you know, science and stuff is being ignored. And I was like, this is crazy. Anyway, then I heard Sam Harris, who I know is a bit of a lefty, which is the opposite side. Well, not usually, but I mean, but based on where we are in 2022, 
I, I think the way uh, Sam Harris sees a lot of the world with a lot of things, I look at and I go, uh, I, I, it's, it's uncomfortable for me to hear it because it's the opposite of what I think. So, But lately I've been listening to him a lot more because I respect the guy. I like the way he thinks. I like the way he speaks. Even if I disagree, he's humble. I'm trying to learn to be more like that, like a little bit more nuanced in my views because I get in, the, I get in that, that mindset where I'm black or white. And he's, I mean, he's like that with some things, but the truth is, uh, uh, I don't know, he just seems a bit more nuanced. He just seems a bit more nuanced. And he tweeted just the other day, he said, for anyone else who got brain damage from listening to Dr. Peter McCullough and the Joe Rogan podcast, this is an antidote. And I was like, oh, wow, like what the heck is this about? That's a big call because... I know that podcast got some traction. And I know Peter McCullough was a, a, a mover and a shaker in the uh, COVID scene at the moment. And mainstream media don't like him, which makes me like him more. And then I listened to this guy, Dr. Z. Type in Dr. Z, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough into, into YouTube, and I'm sure it'll come up. But it was like a fantastic take on... Well, I thought it was a fantastic take breaking down the arguments of Peter McCullough and explaining to him. What I liked about him, the reason I listened to him was because he was like a, he was very balanced. He explained what he agreed with about Peter McCullough and then he explained where he disagreed and then they had a lot of common ground. So it wasn't like 100% of what he said was right or, or wrong and you know 100% of what this doctor said is right. It was like, no, no, like we agree on a number of things, but what we disagree on it is this. And I don't know, I left that. And I was like, now I'm so confused. Like, if you can't even listen to the experts, who do you who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? I'm not going down the COVID rabbit hole anymore. I'm so sick of talking about it. I think I think everything, I was going to say everything that could have been said about it has been said, but it's not true. Do you know what I mean? I bet no one's ever said if a dolphin had sex with a whale, it might catch COVID. There you go. There's something fresh in the COVID scene. Not valuable, not helpful. Not meaningful, not based in science, but I bet it's fresh. <laughs> I've got a. I told you guys a while ago. That's not even funny. I don't know why I laughed at that joke, but I um, uh, what was it? Oh, what was it? Oh, I gave myself a ban from Instagram and Facebook, which I've slowly. I've been on Instagram a little more than I should have the last week or so. I've, I've put up a couple of posts and so uh, uh, you know again. But I gave myself a month off and it was it was really nice. But during that month, I just, I just like a little drugger, I quit heroin and took up cocaine. I went from Instagram and jumped across to Twitter. And now I've, I've started burying myself in the Twitter comment section. And if you want to do anything that's good for your mental health, do not bury yourself in the uh, comment section of Twitter. Because there's a lot of people like me just saying their opinions. And I've got 10 followers on Twitter and I can see why because I look back through my Twitter feed and go, mate, you're not really offering a whole heap to the uh, the Twitter world right here, but nonetheless, it's fun and it makes me proud to come up with a zinger. But that's all it is. Twitter is just, it's just one-liners. You know when you drive away from an argument and you, you feel as though you hadn't had the most effective argument and you thought about all the one-liners you could have done just to shut the other person up, that's all Twitter is if you're not on there. If you're not on Twitter, it's just a constant attempt for people to shut another person down with a one-liner. You're not there for conversation. You're not there for research or to have your opinion changed. You're there for zingers and followers and attention. <laughs> That's a hundred. If you tell me you're there for any other reason like entertainment, I am going to call you a liar because uh, well, maybe entertainment's a valid reason, but uh, even that's pushing it a little bit, to be honest. I think you're there for an audience. I think you're trying to get famous. I could be talking to myself right now. I'm, I think I'm going to have to give myself a, a ban. But Voice for Victoria, she's so interesting. 
if you're in America right now, so I'm in a state called Victoria. It's like the, uh, it's a big lefty state. It's the equivalent of Oregon, but worse, I think. Uh, I shouldn't say Oregon as a whole, probably Portland. Like Melbourne and Portland would get on really, they probably wouldn't get on though, because they'll just find all the things they still disagree with each other about. But yeah, nonetheless, that's uh, that's the equivalent of where I'm living right now. And um, where was I going? I was telling you about Twitter. I was telling, oh, Voice for Victoria, yes. So Voice for Victoria, she's a, a she's like a, a one chick company. She she runs this uh, runs this Twitter feed, just giving you updates on what's going on in the Australian political scene. And I'm a dickhead when it comes to Australian politics, honestly. Like I can't care. The, the fact that politicians can't even really keep up makes me feel better because I spend 15 minutes a day trying to read about what's going on. And then I realise I don't understand a lot of what's happening. And then you realise that a lot of the politicians actually also don't understand what's happening. But this chick, she just brings some clarification. So um, if you're interested in in where I live and, uh, and the politics of the place, jump onto Voice for Victoria. She's a relatively, I think she's a very reasonable person to follow mind you i think if you disagree with her if you're like an extreme lefty she's probably uh, being accused of being an extreme righty but um hey nonetheless i'll let you decide on that uh, my mum came up here on the weekend which was nice because uh because whenever mum comes to visit it means we've got a babysitter for a few hours a couple of days which is which is which is a game changer i mean granted jesse does most of the work when it comes to baby life in this household not because of gender stereotypes, but just because I'm a man and I don't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's a chick's job to look after the boy. I'm kidding. Look at you getting all uptight about jokes like that. That's that's ridiculous. Don't be don't be don't take me so seriously. I'm having fun. Do you know what I mean? Just having fun. It's just a coincidence she does all the chick's jobs. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, and it'd be funnier if I was like a real handyman as well, but I'm not. You know, she's she's asked me to cook once a week because she's got a Thermomix and uh, it'll just make her life easier. So, like, we, we, we spent two grand to buy a Thermomix because it was going to make her life cooking easier. But now she's told me that cooking with a Thermomix is so easy, I should do it once or twice a week. So, spent two grand and now I'm cooking once or twice a week, which is, I mean, it is what it is. But <clears throat> it was nice the other day because we didn't have to cook. Mum was here, so we went out for a little double date. We went to a... Uh, What's it called? Let's just, I'll try, I'll try Siri one more time. Uh, it's like, Chevois? Hey Siri, Chevois Restaurant Barwon Heads. The only option I found is Sugarloaf, Sugarloaf Restaurant on Hillside Avenue in Eildon. I don't is even know. Is that the one you're looking for? Not at all, not, not even close. One option is- No, it's done, the conversation's done. Do you know what I mean? The conversation's finished. If, if I say Chevois, and she says sugar loaf. Apple needs to work. I, I said that clearly because I always I always work on the uh, my articulation when I'm speaking to Siri because it's like a it's like when you call Audible. It's a you feel as though you're speaking to someone in a, a language which is not their natural a, uh, language. So they get V's and T's muddled up. You say V, they say D. You go no. You say T, they go E. You say no. You know what I mean? Like my nightmare at the moment is calling Audible because at the start they say, oh, sir, to start with, can I just have your email address? I say, yes. I always say Tyson tyson.popplesandgmail.com. And they say, um, can you please spell that out? I said T. And they go D. I go no. I said it's T. And they go D. I said it's not. I go T. And they go ah, C. I go honestly, can I just text you somewhere? Because this is... I've been on here for 25 minutes and we haven't got through my first name. And it's, I start saying, it's like Mike Tyson, the boxer. 
She goes, oh, you're a boxer? I go, I'm not a boxer. Like, on, this is a, I understand Audible's trying to cut corners and the Filipinos don't, don't work for, for as much as what the Aussies do. But I think one, one restriction or one point of uh, improvement, I think, for Audible is just get, you can't have the person on the phone if they can't speak English. If you're dealing with English-based customers, you've got to have a solid understanding of English. That, I, don't, I don't say that as an insult. I say that practically. Like if I'm going, if I'm trying to give just practical information, like my name, and you can't hear the letter T, I start saying T for tango, then I start confusing him. Start saying uh, X for excellent. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? K for cat. Yeah. That showed them. Just makes both of our lives more difficult. They're getting paid for the trouble though, so I guess I'm the fool. But mum and I, uh, mum came here, looked after little Charlie for a couple of hours. We went out for dinner, and uh, I think it was Chevrolet. Sat down for dinner at Chevrolet and uh, started talking. There was a, Jesse got up to go to the toilet. I made conversation with the people next to us. They were out. They had their little daughter. Her name was Charlie, which is the same name as my little boy. And uh, the guy that I was talking to goes, "Mate, are you an actor?" And I, for me, like if you want to, if you want to just give me like a little bit of an ego stroke, ask me if I'm an actor. I'm not sure why, because so many actors are flogs. But I took it as him meaning you're a very handsome man. This uh, this podcast episode is revealing a lot of vanity, I think, in me, um, which is which is something that comes up more than I'd probably like to admit in these podcasts. But nonetheless, it's there and it's something to work on. But he goes, no, no, he goes, I said that to him. I go, mate, sorry, you must confuse me with some other good looking boy. He goes, truth is, most actors are ugly. He goes, but I'm an actor and thought I might have worked with you. I said, whoa, first of all, what was with that? You didn't have to be so nasty about it. Just let me believe that you thought I was handsome. Anyway, this guy, he was, uh, have you seen the Australian, it's the Amy Insurance ad, uh, where they go, uh, there's a group of guys sitting on the couch watching the footy and a guy comes in from the kitchen and he goes, oh, the pies are on fire. And um, one guy turns around and goes, settle down, mate. They've only kicked two goals. And then the other guy goes, no, guys, the pies are on fire. And you look around, the kitchen's on fire because they've, uh, they've caught a light uh, in the oven. Anyway, I was talking with the bloke who turned around and said, settle down, buddy. They're only, uh, they've only kicked two goals. He was the actor. So I left there and because he had asked me if I was an actor, I went home thinking, oh, of course, that's going to be my next career pursuit. If a guy mistakes you as an actor, then your chances of getting acting roles is uh, is significant. And I was telling my mum about this the next day. And she goes, you couldn't be an actor. She goes, no, you wouldn't be able to do it, which made me want to do it even more. Um, I'm not sure why mum was being so heavy on the criticism about me being an actor, but nonetheless, it was... Uh, it's funny how you can be... Like, I've never acted in my life and I was offended about the fact that mum told me I couldn't do it. I thought, I'll show you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I started following Margot Robbie, going back through her neighbour's history or home and away to find out what it was, what career steps did she take to act with Leo. I asked Leo to be on my podcast. Yeah, he hasn't responded or seen it. But I saw, actually, I don't know how I feel about Leo at the moment. He, um, I watched his first shit movie last night. Uh, well, I watched half of it and then gave up. It's called Don't Look Up. Now, I, I didn't want to watch it, but Jesse said I was being narrow-minded and I should give it a go. So I, I gave it one go. We got half an hour in. I actually quite enjoyed it for the first half an hour. But by 31 minutes, I was like, oh, this is preposterous. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Uh, have you seen that? Don't look up. It's about some asteroid coming towards Earth and, the, the, you know, no one's taking it seriously. I think it's got something to do with climate change. I think they're just trying to point out how ridiculous it is that we're not taking climate change seriously, which... Like when a, when a movie starts going down that propaganda 
Avian, let's say I don't believe in crime, climate change. I'm just saying when Hollywood starts to try and convince me what I should be thinking with an attempt at a funny script, I go, ah, I just wanted to relax a little bit. You know, if I wanted to watch politics, I could just watch the NBA. <laughs> oh, if I wanted to learn about climate change, I could just follow LeBron James. Surely he's got something to say. Which is fine. You're allowed to say it. I'm happy for you to say it, but I should be allowed to say it's annoying. Is my only problem. Anyway, before I go, what else have I done there? Yeah, so uh, we ended up having the whole night just with them. I genuinely don't really like double dates either because um, I remember once being in Portugal and when there's too much pressure, like if Jesse and I have a double date planned and it's like, all right, this Friday we're going out for a date, it's going to be the best night ever. It's always a shit night because I think there's just too much pressure. I feel too pressured to have like a natural conversation. We get out there, I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I just can't enjoy it. I like the spontaneous date. So to have these two people that we just double dated, we swap numbers. Um, I'm going to Google this bloke's agent to, to find out what it is that he's got to say, uh, you know, about my acting career. It was just a nice night. Once in Portugal, uh, we were listening to some Fado, having a little bit of Portuguese. We're having some wine, having a chat. It was just an awkward night. I'm not sure what was going on. Um, I think Jessie was getting her period. <laughs> Which is, you're not supposed to say it, but it's actually what happened. I think she was moody. Hormones are a thing. You're allowed, you should be allowed to acknowledge that. But it's also true of me. I'm quite moody, all right, if I'm if I'm hungry or whatever. So she can say it about me. I can say it about her. As I don't worry. She doesn't listen to the podcast. He can say stuff like that. It's not sexist if it's funny. That's just a fact. Um, I'm not sure if it's actually a fact, but it feels good to be able to justify any negative comment you say. Um, just with, with it's not it's not controversial if it's a fact. Um, yeah, but we were in Portugal once, and she got up from the table, and she was crying. She let, And some handsome Portuguese bloke chased after her and said, Excuse me, madam, is everything okay? And she says, Like, it is now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I just hold me. I said, Sweetie, we're out on a date. Now, there's a Portuguese man who's gorgeous holding you. He's very muscular. She didn't say that. He didn't do that. But um, I don't know. Ever since that night, I've, I've just felt a lot of pressure for, for double dates to go well. So anyway, that was my week. I hope your week's been going well. Uh, what have I got to report? Anything interesting? Uh, yeah, still, YouTube views are incredibly low on this podcast. Very disappointed. Very disappointed because uh, the audio views are mind-blowingly high. You know, I can say that because you can't see them. But, uh, but then no one, if I, if I contact a guest and say, would you like to come on the Pop Culture Podcast? And they go to my YouTube channel and they see that, uh, you know, the videos have four views. It's not really much of a sales pitch. So please, if you're enjoying it, leave it a review. Go and watch a YouTube video. Help a brother out. I'm trying to get something started here. Started at the bottom and now we're here, which is still at the bottom. But I'm hoping the more I say that, the more you'll be able to see the progress that I've made. Drake did, and uh, you know now he gets front row seats at the NBA. So uh, we don't have NBA here in Australia, but we do have the AFL, which is an obscure sport with 36 men chasing a little leather ball around a big grass pitch, tackling each other and pretending it doesn't look gay. All right, so that's what we're working with. Front row seats mean nothing at those games because a lot of the time, front row seats are available. You guys have a good week. Uh, Australia is almost open, but not quite if you disagree with anything we say. Anyway, guys, it is uh, great to hang out with you again. I love hanging out with you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening to these rants, these communications, what I prefer to call them. Rants makes me feel like I've held you hostage. But anyway, hey, have a great rest of your week. I'm going to leave this here. I'll uh, 
I'm going down for a swim. My wife just texts me before to say uh, they're having too much fun down at the beach, so I might go join them, work on my tan. All right. Have a good week.